Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Clumsy Theosis podcast. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I'm the host of this show. I'm really happy that you're here this week because we are still in the midst of our series on salvation history which is also sometimes referred to as covenant history. And that makes a lot of sense because salvation history is about all of the covenants that God made with key figures in history, starting with Adam all the way through Jesus for one big purpose, which was to bring all of his people to himself, to bring all of his sons and daughters to himself, to make us part of his family, part of his inner life. And if you have been to Mass at all this Lent, you have probably heard the word covenant more than once. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Okay, that's what salvation history is about. It's very important. It's the overarching theme of the Bible. You know salvation history. You know the main plot points of the scriptures. I like to say that salvation history is about God the Father's active presence in the history of humanity. All right, because that's exactly what it is. It's his active presence. All right, now last week, I don't know if you've noticed, but throughout the series, actually, every episode has been getting longer and longer, which is driving me crazy, partly because I'm starting to lose my voice, especially by the end of the last episode. It just went on for so long. And the reason the episodes are getting longer is because sin and the rejection of God's plan is complicating these stories. These stories are supposed to be simple if people were to just stick with God and God's plan, but they don't, and sin gets in the way, and so there's complications, hence their stories are longer. Today, however, we're going to be talking about King David, and the covenant that God made with King David is much simpler, all right? And because of that, this episode is supposed to be shorter than the last, and hopefully the one before that as well. But I'm not saying that It's going to be shorter because David wasn't a sinner because, you know, Bathsheba much. Or it's going to be simpler because his life didn't have any drama or anything. No, because his life was actually quite a roller coaster. To give us a little bit of momentum, like a running start to get into David's story, let's hop back for just a second to Moses and the Israelites in the desert, which we covered in the last episode. When we look at the Israelites and Moses in the wilderness, it's really easy for us to give them a hard time because, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I think that kind of goes for anyone in, in the scriptures. You know, we can look at them and we can look at their story and give them a hard time, you know. And in the case of Moses and the Israelites, we're like, dude, obviously idol worship is wrong. You know, golden calf, bad. Don't do that. You know, it, it seems so obvious to us. But to them, it wasn't so obvious because of the time that they were living in and what was going on around them. And they were just people, people like us. Now, we are not melting down gold to create golden statues to worship, but I'll tell you this, metaphoric golden calves are everywhere. You know, just think about it. Pride, power, money, sex, um, recognition or esteem. And like with social media, followers and likes, Um, Even our youth um, having positions of authority or power or material wealth or getting respect from others. 
I could go on and on. These are just some examples of the golden calves that we construct in our own lives all the time. And we do. We construct these things all the time. And whenever we do that, we put ourselves in a similar position as the Israelites. Now, for them, when they made the golden calf, they rejected not only the covenant that God was giving them, but the gifts that came with that covenant. And if you remember, I don't know if I like hit this home hard enough last episode, but if you remember, what was God giving them? God called Israel his firstborn son. He was saying that Israel was a son of God, right? Every member in Israel was now a son of God, according to that covenant. And that is a huge deal. And we might not think so because we're used to ourselves being called sons and daughters of God. And yeah, we know it's a big deal, but it's just kind of like commonplace for us now. But if you look at this in the historical context, the last person to be called a son of God was Adam at the time of creation. All right. So from the time of creation up until the Israelites and Moses in the wilderness, no one else was given this title. All right. And we know how huge this is because we talked about how being a son of God made you a priest, prophet, king, and bridegroom at the beginning of this series and all of that authority that comes with it and what a gift it is. And they rejected it. They didn't want it. So what happened between the Israelites' rejection and us today being able to claim such a role and such a position in God's family as his sons and his daughters? Well, I'm so happy you asked. King David happened. And today we're going to get into the covenant that God made with him that helped us be able to reclaim such a awesome and grace-filled position in God's family. But you know the drill. This is the part of the show where we take a moment to thank our donors. Why? Because Clumsy Theosis is 100% listener supported and without the donors, there would be no show. Today, who's our man of the hour or 20 minutes? That would be Mitchell. Mitchell is our most recent donor. So let's give him one of those good old head nods of appreciation. Thanks, Mitchell. Thank you so much for your donations. Thank you to all of our donors. If you also would like to be a donor, you want to get a shout out, or you want to get merchandise or resources for donating, head over to clumsytheosis.net and click the word donate in the menu. You can also make a one-time donation, and that is just as helpful. Just want to put it out there. Um, I've actually received quite a lot of one-time donations since I've made that available recently. So go ahead and uh, check that out. If you're listening to this show and you're finding it helpful for you by donating, you're making it available to other people who can also find it helpful and enriching to their spiritual life and their walk with the Lord. Just put it out there. And while you're on the website, go ahead and sign up for the weekly email because that way you can get the episodes delivered straight to your inbox and you don't have to worry about finding them on your podcast apps. Plus, you do get some insider information and some freebies from time to time. Just put it out there. All right. Now, back to David. Between Moses and David, there's 500 years, which is quite a long time. But those 500 years are summarized in only four books of the Old Testament. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel. Now, Joshua is pretty obvious. It's about how he ushered the Israelites into the promised land after Moses's death. Judges used to confuse me until I realized that, okay, this is a cycle of sin and redemption. For hundreds of years, this is going on during the time of the judges. And the judges were basically elected officials who ruled over the Israelites. 
when there was no judge in play, there was no one there to keep the Israelites in check, the Israelites would fall into idol worship and then they would have a lot of negative consequences in their life because idol worship is a sin and sin leads to death. And they would, yeah, that, that was just the cycle. Then you'd get a new judge in place and they would get them straightened out. They would have uh, right worship and then everything would go well for the Israelites. So this went on for hundreds of years. Then all of a sudden you see the book of Ruth and you're like, why is this here? Because Ruth, it just reads like a love story to me. We're trying to learn about the history of Israel and now we get a love story. Well, it's important because Ruth and Boaz are the great grandparents of David. Uh Uh-huh. You see? You see why it's important? Then lastly, there's the first book of Samuel. Samuel is a prophet and he's telling about what it was like under the last and final judge. And um, how the people of Israel, they didn't want a judge any longer. They wanted a king. They wanted, you know, political prowess. And they just thought that having a king would just make their lives better for whatever reason. So God tells the prophet Samuel to go and get them a king. And so he anoints Saul. But Saul, he's got issues. He's got a lot of issues. Uh, Yeah, he is a a mess. He's insecure and he's envious and he makes hasty decisions for the wrong reasons all the time. And he doesn't really care about worship, which is a huge problem, as we saw in the time of the judges, right? Wrong worship leads to destruction among the people. And then we finally get to meet David, who is the most important figure in the whole of the Old Testament. Now, remember, he's the youngest son of Jesse, and we hear Jesse's name around Christmas time, okay? David is also from a town of Bethlehem, which we also hear around Christmas time. David was chosen by God, and he had God had sent out the prophet Samuel to find David, and when he found him, he was anointed. And it says that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him from that day forward, from the moment of his anointing. Now, after years of drama and failed assassination attempts on his life by Saul and being on the run and everything, things finally start to go well for David. He's able to conquer Jerusalem, and he's able to make Jerusalem the capital of the kingdom. And then he moves the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, which coincidentally is geographically in the center of the kingdom, making the Ark central to the Israelites, right? Making it central. So he's saying that worship is central. It's the most important thing that we need to worry about. And then David has an epiphany. He has this brainwave and he's like, I'm living large in my palace. Things are going great for me. You know what? I think I'm going to do something big for the Lord. I'm going to build him a house. I'm going to build him a temple. And so he tells the prophet Nathan about this. And God basically tells Nathan, No. Tell David, no, no, no. And then he lays out this proposition for a covenant that he would like to make with David. And we read about this in 2 Samuel 7. Now, if you're going to read it, and I highly recommend that you do in 2 Samuel 7, pay attention to these verses. Verse 5, 8, 9, 11 through 16. Okay, that's 5, 8, 9, 11 through 16. And I will put that note down in the show notes in case you're like, don't have a pen or you're driving or something. So you can go back and look at it later. It's really funny the way that it starts too. In this covenant, God starts out, he's like, you're going to build me a house, David? (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm God. I'm going to build you a house. Rather, 
I'm going to build you a dynasty because there's like a play on words in the Hebrew there. Um, Yeah, it's really funny. So God starts out a little snarky. He's like, "Mm, I don't think so. I'm going to build you a dynasty. And this is exactly how I'm going to do it. And so he promises David a son who is going to do three things. First, this son of David is going to build God a house. He is also going to be adopted by God. And third, he's going to rule Israel forever. Now, when we say son in the Hebrew, the word used here is like seed or offspring, and it could have two meanings. It could mean an immediate son, you know, like Solomon was the immediate son of David, or it could mean the descendants of David, you know, those who come in a long line of sons from David. And we know that Jesus is from the line of David, right? So Jesus is a son of David. So when God is giving this promise, he's making his covenant with David, he's talking about his immediate son, Solomon, as well as Jesus, who is a descendant of David. So when it comes to building a house, Solomon was able to build the temple for God in Jerusalem. Jesus, however, he comes along and he builds the new Jerusalem. When it comes to being adopted by God, the immediate sons of David are adopted as sons of God. Jesus also, remember at his baptism when um, God says, um, behold, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, right? This is hearkening back to this covenant, right? It's the Jewish people, like their radar would have gone off and they'd have been like, oh, wow, okay, This is going back to the covenant that God made with David. Now, when it comes to ruling Israel forever, well, Solomon kind of failed there. And the reason was idol worship, which was because of too many wives, which we've already heard all of the woes of polygamy in the scriptures. Anyways, uh, yeah, so Solomon fails. Jesus succeeds as ruling Israel forever as king of the universe, right? Man, isn't that exciting the way that God orchestrates things? You know, like all of that that he made in that covenant was true for David's immediate son, as well as for his descendant, who was also going to be a member of the Trinity. It's just wild to me when I think about stuff like that. But the excitement doesn't end here, folks. Because God makes this covenant with David, David now has a new role. And that role is to be a son of God. Now, that could be a little confusing for a second because you're like, well, wait, in the covenant, God said that the son of David will be a son of God. He said nothing about David. Well, that does not mean that David was excluded from being a son of God. And in fact, we know for sure that David was a son of God because it's recorded in the Psalms. The Psalms were written by David or someone that David had write them for him. Now in Psalm 89, David records the covenant that God makes with him from his spiritual perspective, you know, from a prayer perspective. And so Psalm 89, it'll read probably the title if you have titles in your Psalms. It'll say God's covenant with David. So I suggest you read that. But in this Psalm, God makes it very clear that David is in fact a son of God. He says, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of all the earth with regard to David. So Adam remember, was a son of God, right? He was the only one who kind of ever lived that out longer than five minutes. And that meant that he was a king, he was a priest, he was a prophet, and he was a bridegroom, which we went over in the first part of this series. Now, David, if he's a son of God, is he also all of these things as well? Well, 
he's a king. Obviously, he's the king of, of Israel, right? Is he a bridegroom? Well, yes, he is, because we see this uh, in 2 Samuel, I think it's 5, when the Israelites come to make David their king, they use language that we've heard before. They say that we, we the Israelites, we are your bone and flesh. Right now, that language reminds me of Adam and Eve when Adam creates Eve and and he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Remember, now that is marriage covenant language. So yes, David is the bridegroom, right? And the Israelites are the bride. All right, now, is David a prophet? Well, yeah, at his anointing, remember, it said that the Spirit came down mightily upon him from that day forward, right? So what does that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit of God anointed him, and he now has the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He's a prophet. And is he a priest? Now, there are plenty of clues throughout the life of David that tell us, yeah, he obviously was a priest. I mean, we read about him blessing people. We read that his sons were, in fact, priests. Um, and we read about him offering sacrifices and dressing in priestly garments and robes and all of that, right? And if that is not enough to convince you that he was, in fact, a priest. In Psalm 110, we read that he was a priest forever from the order of Melchizedek. But how is David a priest from the order of Melchizedek? Well, when he became the king of Jerusalem, he also became from the order of Melchizedek because Jerusalem was Melchizedek's old royal city. And remember, David is the only one who's been able to conquer Jerusalem and make it part of Israel's territory, right? So since Melchizedek, no one has been able to carry that priestly torch until now we get David. So this covenant with David is the mark of a new beginning, a very literal new beginning in salvation history, right? Just like Adam was in the beginning, now we have a new beginning with David and his line. Have you ever stopped and wondered why David You know, why did David get this gift, this gift of being a son of God? Well, if you remember, when we were talking about Moses and the Israelites, they were also given this gift, but they rejected it with the golden calf and with their nine rebellions. God wanted all of Israel to have this gift, but since they rejected it, God still longed for his people to be a part of his family, to be close to him, to share in his life, to share in his divine life. So he went with, I guess, plan B, which was to give this gift to one man who would be in the position to use all of these gifts and all of these blessings that come with being a son of God, that they would then trickle down from him to the people below him, to all of Israel. And the king is in the perfect position to do this. But why did he choose David and not Saul? Because Saul was also the king, right? Well, when we read scripture, we read about all of the issues that Saul had and just how tainted his heart was. But when David was chosen and anointed, you know, God chose him and had uh, Samuel anoint him. And throughout this process, when Samuel and God are talking, God's telling Samuel, it's not about the exterior. It's not about what you see on the outside. It's about what's in the heart. That's what I'm looking for. And That's why we say that David is a man after God's own heart. His interior was 
a fertile soil that could bear the fruit of God. And isn't that what we're trying to do right now during this season? We're trying to cultivate our hearts so that we can then bear the fruit of God as well. We want to be fertile soil. And David himself can teach us a lot about this when we read the Psalms, right? Because the Psalms are prayers. They are specifically the prayers of David. And they're not just his prayers that are just kind of like, you know, jumbled up here and there. No, they are actually in chronological order. They follow the rises and the falls and the setbacks of his kingdom. It's actually very interesting. And I have an episode on this called Navigating the Psalms. And I'll link that down in the show notes for you. But I do suggest listen to that episode. It'll give you a broad overview of what's going on through the Psalms. And then when you go to read them, you can learn firsthand what the interior life of David was like through his prayers. Okay, next week we start talking about Jesus. But with Jesus comes the Eucharist as well as the prophets who foretold Jesus. So we're going to see how I decide to split this up. I'm not quite sure yet. So tune in next week. We will start with Jesus. But from which angle? Not quite sure yet. Okay, have a blessed week, a blessed Lent. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us.